0: Having a super, super, super defined brand archetype is going to help you in so many ways. All those different types of strategies, they'll never be as powerful if you don't have that foundational piece in place whereby you have a very clear brand identity and people can start to resonate with that and you start to attract in your dream clients through positioning yourself really, really clearly.
1: Welcome to the Girl Unfiltered podcast. If you're a woman who is ready to say yes to her wealthiest and most abundant life and manifest a business and career that totally lights you up, then girl, you are in the right place. Get ready for deep, epic, unfiltered, and inspiring girl chats. I'm your host, Helena Grace Donald, and I'm a money mindset expert, success, and business coach. But all you really need to know is that I am obsessed with helping women feel safe and in total flow around money, because you have a special purpose in this world, and playing small or pushing money away isn't going to help anybody. So are you ready to say hell yes to all that you desire? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Girl Unfiltered podcast. I am very excited because today I am joined by a marketing queen who is an absolute whiz with all the marketing tips and tools. You have a way with words and I've actually been working with her for the last few months even in my business and I absolutely love having her support. So welcome to the Girl Unfiltered podcast Aisha. Well, what an introduction. Thank you so much. It's an absolute (laughs) pleasure to be on here and I've been listening to the podcast
0: that have been going out over the last few weeks and the guests that have been on there so I am absolutely honored to be in such fantastic company
1: oh thank you thank you so much I'm so excited I feel like you have such a light and positive energy and I feel this conversation is going to be just like really really fun and before we dive into some of the, I guess, deeper questions and you start sharing all of your incredible tips and tools when it comes to marketing your online business, I just wanna do a really fun, quick fire round of questions just so the like, listeners can kind of get to know you on a fun kind of interactive level. So Aisha, where were you born? I was born in Bolton in Greater Manchester in England. No way, my dad is from Bolton. I had no yes. idea you were from Bolton. Oh
0: my gosh, where in Bolton?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know he lived on Carlton Road, but I don't. I couldn't even tell you like where in Bolton. But I used to go up there every weekend as a kid because my granddad lived up there. That's so funny. (laughs) That's actually insane. I always pretend and say I'm from Manchester because I'm like, oh, people won't know Bolton unless
0: they know like certain comedians from there or the football team. Yeah, "Yeah, just from Manchester. But I thought, you know what? I'm a Bolton girl. I'm going to own it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Where are you based now? Are you still in that area? No, not anymore. I've not lived there for a while now. Um, When I graduated from uni, I moved um, down to London um, and now I just um, moved to Surrey last year. Yeah. So I've been here for a few months now. <laughs> oh,
1: beautiful. Oh my God. That's so funny. I'm going to tell my dad that after this. <laughs> that's so weird. <laughs> what a start. <laughs> I know. Okay. Different question. What is your favorite food? If you could pick one food, what would that be?
0: <laughs> I feel like I have this conversation with my boyfriend all the time and I can just never, ever, ever pick. Right. So when I, I've been traveling on like two separate occasions, right? And both times I've craved this one meal and it's going to sound so boring and so simple, (laughs) but it's it's always what I crave. It's my mom's tuna pasta bake. And when she does the tuna pasta bake, she mashes up packets of crisps, puts a layer of cheese on top, puts the crisps or chips or whatever you want to call them on top, puts them under the grill. And it's honestly just like the most simple heartwarming like you like proper soul food and it caught on to my boyfriend's friends when they saw me doing it they were like that is so weird why would you put crisps on top of a pasta bake and then they all start doing it now so yeah Uh, that is my fave
1: hands down my fave. No I totally get that I think there's nothing like that home-cooked meal or that like taste of home and that comfort food so yeah my mom used to make tuna pasta bake but she definitely didn't put crisps on top so gonna give her that little tip (laughs) (laughs) try it it'll change your life sticking with the food theme do you have like a favorite drink of choice like mine is champagne go figure
0: (laughs) oh well obviously the bubbles yeah Prosecco I'm a Prosecco girl through and through I love a good glass of Prosecco but I always joke and say I'm a coke addict because I am addicted to diet coke like I literally (laughs) drink so much diet coke Pepsi Max because yeah I just I just love anything with bubbles in it is just my kind of drink so Prosecco Diet Coke, Pepsi Max, I'll have it all.
1: That po- <laughs> this podcast episode could have taken a very different turn in the first five minutes of admitting <laughs> that you're a Coke addict. So I'm glad that you really like <laughs> defined what you meant by that. You know, you need to get a soda stream. The soda stream just changed my life. I have constant fizzy water on tap now. So I definitely recommend that. Oh my
0: gosh, I need to jump on that. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, so you try out the crust on top of your pasta
0: bake. I'll get a soda stream and we'll change each
1: other's exactly, lives. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Okay, last question. Do you have a favorite affirmation or a favorite word that you like to use in your life or in your morning routine?
0: Yes. So this is something that I have been saying to myself, and all of my really close friends and family know this. It's nothing revolutionary. I just love there's two things that you'll you'll learn to like know about me. I love rhymes and I love alliteration. Like in any marketing or copy that you'll see me do, I love rhymes and alliteration. And this affirmation is something that I've said to myself like forever, for as long as I can remember. Nothing revolutionary but simply dream, believe, achieve. It's just something that I say to myself all the time. If I ever have moments of doubt, I just repeat it to myself. If my friends or my family and I say it in jest all the time as well, if they're like, oh, I don't know if I should watch that or I don't know if I should do that. So I'm like dream, believe, achieve. And they just yeah. they just know like
1: <laughs> it's just something I say all the time. So it has to be that for sure. Oh, I love that. It's like your trademark little go-to. I used to actually have that on my vision board in my teenage bedroom. So I'm I'm now picturing that. Yeah. That's
0: insane. Yeah. I love
1: that. We've got the Bolton thing. We've got similar words of affirmation. There we go. (laughs) That's amazing. I love that. I need to get that. I've just got um, an office for the first time ever.
0: I'm sat in it right now. I'm currently recording this podcast on top of a it's a cardboard
1: box (laughs) so it's not quite there yet but I think I need to get dream believer tube up on the wall somewhere now yeah definitely do that so you can see it every day well I love that you just mentioned how you love alliteration and you love rhyming like as I know because you've been working with me and I love your words Like, did you just wake up one day being an excellent wordsmith, copywriter, marketing whiz? Or like, what has that journey been like for you? Like, what is the story behind you becoming this incredible sold out marketing queen?
0: Oh, thank you so much. Um, No, I didn't wake up one day and decide to do it or be it or become this, like have this business. It was a really weird But very interesting journey. So it's a weird one. So initially, I actually only ever intended to market myself in order to, I guess, elevate my own profile because I was in this pretty competitive um, leadership. It was called a leadership development program that I was on at this huge tech company. And this tech company, there was over 300,000 employees. So it was really difficult to kind of stand out. So I created a blog at the time. So this was quite a few years ago now. And it was called Get Up. Disrupt. And upon reflection, that actually, that name actually just sums up how into the tech world I really was. <laughs> and I realized that actually, in order to be able to get people to read that blog, I needed to send traffic towards it. So I thought, okay, what's a good way to do that right now? And it'd be through growing an Instagram page and having that as my link in bio. So I created this like motivational style Instagram page because that was just something that was really hot at the time and, and still is, to be honest. And it worked perfectly with my, I guess, ideal audience, my target audience, targeting fellow ambitious millennials. And then as an ambitious millennial myself at the time, I, of course, plucked this super ambitious goal out of absolutely nowhere, literally just out of thin air, which was I wanted to hit 100,000 followers on that Instagram account by my birthday, which was about at the time, about six months from then. And I actually hit that goal a day before my birthday and I was absolutely bumming. I went live on the Instagram page. I was like, oh my God, greatest achievement ever. Like now, of course, I know that followers are totally like vanity metrics to a certain degree. And I actually wrote a post on my Instagram account about that recently, describing the difference of like income that I generated from a 2K follower account versus this 100K follower account. But actually in building that Instagram account, I had these DMs coming in from people being like, how are you growing so quickly? Can I pay you to grow mine? And I was literally like, what the fuck? You can actually make money from (laughs) from doing this. So I just started on taking these um, Instagram management clients and I thought to myself like, wow, I could actually create a business at something that I apparently seem to be like quite good at and I love doing. So it started like that. And then after I hit that goal, that 100K follower mark, I was actually approached in a in a direct message on Instagram by this male poet in from Washington in the US. And he asked if he could purchase the Instagram account I'd built so that he could use it to promote his poetry. And he offered me thousands of dollars to do that. So at first, I was obviously like, OK, this is a total scam. You know, like those emails that you get claiming that you're like the descendant of a royal from a foreign country who's left you millions (laughs) and millions in their will. I completely thought it was just that. But he found me on different uh, social media accounts. He found me on an app that it's an app called Telegram. He was pretty persistent. So I actually remember at the time Googling contracts or agreements for selling Instagram accounts. And obviously, like nothing was coming up as it's pretty niche. (laughs) Yeah. But um, he must have thought I was pretty trustworthy for some reason because he sent the payment through. I gave him the login details and then using that money and also in discovering the world of 0% fee credit cards, <laughs> I went investment crazy, just, just purchasing and investing in um, so many different types of digital marketing courses so that I could learn how to run my own marketing agency, full stack agency. And then Surge Social, I guess, was, was born from there. Wow.
1: Oh my gosh. That is like, I obviously had no idea that this is your story. Your word story. <laughs> yeah. Wait, hang on a moment. You built, can we just backtrack a second? How long did it take you to build an Instagram platform to 100K? Like what was the di- time difference in between you deciding you want it to be 100K and it becoming 100K? It was about six months. That's insane. Oh my God. That's incredible. Thank you so much. And then you have a Washington poet. <laughs> I'm now trying to think. Wait, so, so yours was like a very motivational platform. So I guess it was in alignment with him and his vibes. Yeah. So I was thinking, wait, tech startup, Washington poet. Like I was trying to put those two together, but okay. It was a motivational, inspirational account. Exactly. That's incredible. Thank you. But you did hit on something that is so key that I would love to dive a little bit more deeply into. And you said... The revenue I actually make from a smaller account, like I know roughly how many followers you have right now. I think it's what, 3,000, 5,000, between 3,000 and 5,000 or something now. I have almost 8,000 compared to the people that I know and I'm sure you know, and even the experiences we've had in our lives of people who have 50,000, 100,000, who are not monetizing it, who don't have ideal clients or customers within those followers and aren't actually making anywhere near what we make with our much smaller following. And I'd love to dive a little bit more deeply into that because I think there's probably a lot of people listening who do have the goal. And I understand that goal. Like, don't get me wrong. It's a goal for me as well to want to grow and like get so many more followers and think that in order to be hitting six figures, they have to have minimum 10,000 or 15,000 or 20,000. And that just isn't the case. So why do you feel there's that difference between what you make now as a marketing expert obviously with 3,000 followers compared to a following of 100,000. What's that difference?
0: Yeah so it's so true and I see this happen all the time. People think like more followers equals more money but that's not the case. Like at the time I just set this like goal and I just had this goal out of nowhere, really. There was no real thinking behind it. I was behind it. I was like, that'd just be really cool to do. And I just want to do it by my birthday. So I can say like, birthday celebration <laughs> that was literally yeah. it. And all my intention was, was to drive people to a blog, a blog that wasn't, there was no monetization on there at all. It was literally just so I could, I was in a corporate career and I wanted to, I guess, elevate my profile in this massive company where it's so easy to get, to get lost. So that was my sole intention. I never, ever set out to create that to make money. And you can tell because whilst yes, I was able to generate an income from this as a byproduct of the growth and people were approaching me to manage their accounts. Like the amount that was offered in order to manage those accounts was like not anything that could like generate a sustainable business from it. And I I actually realized at the time, like as it was growing, I was like, oh my God, maybe I should do like a link in bio situation and like do discount codes for this and this and this. And then maybe I can be like an influencer and get make money through that. And it just wasn't working. And the reason why is because my goal was, it wasn't intentional growth. It wasn't, I'm going to grow this account with the aim to attract in fellow business owner. Well, at the time it wasn't fellow, but it was other business owners who I can then manage their account for It was actually to attract people, just ambitious people, people who wanted to be inspired, people who wanted to be motivated from all walks of life, from all different countries, from corporate backgrounds or not. So it wasn't, the growth wasn't intentional. The sole goal was growth. Whereas as a business owner, your focus of your Instagram account is to elevate your profile, your brand awareness, your brand presence so that you can serve more people and bring more clients into your business. So the the focus and the intention behind that original Instagram account, yes, whilst it grew quickly, yes, whilst it got me clients and intentionally, it would never have been, if I'd have just chosen to stick with that account, it would have been a lot of hard work to actually try and pivot it to be able to bring in the right people when I'd already built this big audience of, I guess the wrong people, so I think that's the big difference it's it's not it's really, really not about how many people you have. I mean, if you have a hundred thousand followers who are your dream client, unbelievable, amazing, congratulations. but if you have a choice of a of an account with hundred thousand people on it, people general versus an account with one thousand people in it, but those one thousand people are your potential clients. That is a game changer. That's a whole different thing that we're
1: talking about there. So, yeah, whilst it's cool to say that, it doesn't mean anything, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love the clarity and I love the word intention. Like, I love bringing intention into everything I do. But I think for us as business owners or coaches and entrepreneurs, like intentional marketing is really where it's at. But what if somebody's listening is like, okay, why is that important? Why is intentional marketing important? What is intentional marketing? How would you support them in understanding that on a deeper level?
0: Yeah, I think what I've actually seen over over the last few years is people who are like really amazing at what they do. They see the value in marketing, but they're either just like not great at it or they're like, I set up my business so that I could do this or I could provide this service or I could serve these people. I didn't create a business to be able to become an expert marketer or whatever. So, because of that, you see this kind of people showing up in a really disjointed way but the truth is and this is what i always say is without marketing how are people going to know without intentional marketing so actually putting a strategy together and to get yourself out there and to raise awareness of you and your services and all the amazing things you do so without that intentional marketing how are people going to know how amazing you are at what you do so i Fully believe that people should absolutely be focused on their individual zone of genius, their passion, their expertise, like whatever you want to call it. But if you set up your business to be able to provide these fabulous services for people, then you actually need the people there for you to actually be able to provide these fabulous services too, right? Yeah.
1: Couldn't agree more.
0: (laughs) If you want a thriving business, and I think anyone who's listening to this, this podcast will be, like if you want a thriving business, Whereby you get to perform in your zone of genius and you get to deliver your amazing services and work within your passion every day. You are going to need intentional and effective marketing in place in order to be showcasing you and these amazing services to people. I say this often when, when I'm speaking to people and they're like, that's just, it's just not, it's just not my zone of genius. So I just stay away from it or it's not what I set up my business to do. And as business owners, we have to wear so many different hats. So many yeah. hats, and like we don't, we don't want to wear all of those hats, but yeah. some of them are necessary. And I fully believe that marketing, in an intentional, strategic, and effective way, is an absolute essential in business. And ideally, you get to a point where you can then outsource that, but you have to have to understand the importance of it.
1: Yeah, I was just the. I love that you use the word hats because I was just thinking about that total transparency, like in the shower while getting ready for this podcast interview. was <laughs> Like thinking back to the marketing growth and the journey that even I've been on with my brand, which wasn't even called Girl Unfiltered when it even started, but that's a different story. And how honestly, back in that, back in the day, as if it was like mm-hmm. 50 years ago, back in the day, I actually wore the marketing hat more often than I wore the coach hat. Like I was almost, I would say, eighty to ninety percent focused on marketing, and then like excited when I got to do the coaching part. And then fast forward to today, like you're on my team, and like I, I told you this, I'm like, I can't. Like it feels so good to know, oh, that just got taken care of, or this person understands me and like send that out, and I don't have to think about that. But I didn't wake up in my business in the beginning and have the ability to do that, and so I just. Really would love to support the women who are at that stage before maybe we move on to the women who are at a more elevated stage with their brand. The women who are starting out and who are maybe in resistance to thinking, but I'm not a marketing person and I don't want to have to build a brand online. And I'm maybe feeling a little bit blocked about that. How could we simplify an intentional strategy or give them some tips and tools to understand the importance of building their brand and their online community? What would you say are the top effective things that they could be doing right now? I know there's probably a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to say, okay, why <laughs> should I start with this? <laughs> there's, there's actually a part at the very beginning that I think even, even people who have consistent clients coming in, they're doing really well in their business. I think even people at that stage, like having people who have like a marketing team, for example, they might not even have this in place. And um, I was actually doing a coaching session the other day. And when I was preparing for it, I was thinking about how important this truly is. And I reflected upon my business and when I was doing all the things for my own business. And yes, I have a marketing agency, but I don't do all of my marketing myself, (laughs) Um, which some people find hard to believe. So I had to go through this journey myself, like before I was able to invest in people to support me. And this is actually applicable, I guess, to different areas of your business, but I'm going to go down this in, in a very specific way for marketing. So I think this is something that you need to have in place for yourself. And it's also going to really benefit you when you do get to the point to be able to hire people and outsource things to um, team members. So what this comes down to for me, and I believe that every single business owner, no matter what level you are at, you should have a no your brand archetype. yeah, And what that essentially is, is it's, it's just a framework that helps us think about our online positioning. And it's based on our, like our values, our goals, our core characteristics. And I think a lot of people listen to this, their their brand will, will probably be themselves. Like we have personal brands, like as coaches and online service providers, we might have multiple team members doing multiple things, but Actually, a lot of it comes down to who we are as a person and our personal brand as well. And if you have a business that is based around a personal brand and that people typically will invest in you because of you, it's really important to make sure that the brand and the positioning of it is super aligned to who you are as a person, either who you are currently as a person or the person you want to step into and become more of. And I think having a really solid and defined brand archetype, it allows you to be able to actually bottle up your magic and be like, this is it, and be able to share it with the world to be able to attract in the right people. And whilst we're on the topic of magic, like if you don't already know this about me, I'm a massive Harry Potter nerd, it's part of the reason oh. why <laughs> why I've got lightning bolts in my logo all over my content. I've got a lightning bolt tattoo on my wrist, earrings, like oh everything. My gosh. <laughs> and when I talk about brand archetypes, one really easy example is to think about it in terms of Harry Potter, right? You have Hogwarts, for those who don't know, you have Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. And inside of that school, there are four different houses. And each of those four houses, there's Gryffindor, Slytherin, Ravenclaw, and Hufflepuff, inside of those four houses, each house has a really distinct profile that's very evident in the way that the people who actually belong to those houses, the way that they behave, the way that they think, the way that they act, the way that they talk. And that essentially is what a brand archetype is. So by you being able to really define and understand and embody your specific brand archetype, that's going to make you far more conscious. And again, like we said before, intentional about how you're going to be positioning yourself in any marketing that you do when you're turning up to talk on podcasts, for example, when you're invited to to host masterclasses, or even just in your social media captions or your emails. If you are really clear and you have, A really, really, really defined um, brand archetype for for your business, then that's actually going to do the work for you in order to establish your brand positioning. And then later down the line, it's going to actually help really, really, really help in hiring team members when you're ready for that. Because if you can give them something that's like, this is the brand through and through, this is who we are, what we stand for, how we define ourselves, how we talk, the way we think where we want to be, who we want to step in, like how, what people we want to become, then anybody who you ever hire into your team in, in the future, they're going to feel far more empowered and be able to perform in a far more aligned way. Because I, I always think back to like the first few hires that I made in my business and there wasn't a full match for me. It didn't feel totally matched. It didn't feel totally aligned. And I felt like, why, why isn't this working? And to be fair, it started to to create trust issues for myself. Um, And I was like, I don't want to hire anyone because no one's going to be able to do it the way that I do.
1: Yeah. And it took
0: a little while to realize the reason why is because I hadn't defined the brand. If I can't define the brand, then I'm not communicating the brand in the right way. And therefore anyone who joins the brand and is a part of the brand, they don't understand the vision. So. Having a super, super, super defined brand archetype is going to help you in so many ways. And it sounds like a bit of a boring strategy because it's not its not necessarily a specific strategy. But the importance of it, I think, is insanely important. Because if you can bottle it up and really, really define it, you can then project that into all of your marketing, where you're showing up in all the conversations you have. And that's going to position you in a way that making beautiful aesthetic and making beautifully aesthetically pleasing Instagram grids or graphics or having a Facebook or all those different types of strategies, they'll never be as powerful if you don't have that foundational piece in place, whereby you have a very clear brand identity and people can start to resonate with that and you start to attract in your dream clients through positioning yourself really, really clearly.
1: Yes, like I'm like literally listening, and I have so many questions and downloads just from what you've said. Like that is so powerful and so key, and something that even I am preaching to my clients as well. Because actually, this what you're saying actually has quite a lot to do with even money mindsets. Because I talk about frequency and I talk about energy and stepping into your wildly wealthy woman and stepping into the version of you that you're aspiring to be, as if you are her now. And that's actually what brand identity is. Because if you're sitting there going, I want to be a millionaire coach, or I want to have a millionaire business, and I want to attract women who pay me $10,000. Okay, great. Well, you having an undefined brand or the energy of your brand not having a high vibrational frequency is not going to allow you to attract that. Like that's where it's at. Exactly. So I am totally in alignment with that and like being totally transparent. And I don't even know, I'm going to talk more deeply about like what it is that you mean by brand identity. But for example, in mine, why do you think that I talk about champagne all the time? Like, why do I always mention champagne? It probably seems like I drink champagne every evening sometimes. It's like, no, it's because what does champagne make you think of? High vibes, special, glamorous, fabulous, expensive, expansive. Well, that's how I want my brand to feel. So that's part of my like brand identity. There's a purpose behind it. So, like, I don't even like, I want to ask, like, is that what I like? What are my brand pillars? Or, like, what do you think my brand identity is? But I think that has a lot to do with it. And so somebody who's listening is going, Hey, that sounds amazing, but like, how do you define like a brand archetype or what is the definition of a brand archetype? Is it color? Is it aesthetic? Is it what I'm talking about when it comes to champagne? Like what are some of those key things that you would say are so important when defining your brand archetype?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. And there's, there's so many different ways in which you can define it. And to be honest, the deeper your definition, the better because the more clarity you have. So you just mentioned champagne and what that actually, it's not just about champagne, it's actually, what does that represent? And that's the same for me, like exactly the same for me. I use one of my biggest passions in life, like one of my biggest hobbies is an adjective that I always use to describe things as magic and magical. And I love the sense of magic. That's why I'm obsessed with Harry Potter. So when I created my brand, I was like, how do I feed in this magic? I'm also quite a high energy individual. So I'm like, Okay. How can I fit in, okay, Harry Potter, magic, lightning bolts, okay, electric energy, okay, lightning launch results, like everything in my brand is connected with that. And if you see my products and and services and my website that's currently under renovation, but soon to launch, everything is connected around that element of magic. So I want my clients to feel that I love this like electric energy situation that I've got going on. And that is what I have in my branding but also in every conversation I have with like clients or with people I'm collaborating with they see that in me and they see that in in the brand and I hope you see that too Helena. <laughs> oh,
1: I do pay you every month so obviously it's working like I'm obviously connected to it so yes <laughs> <It's> that <magic. laughs> love that love that but that that's like on a high level
0: right so that's like a high level okay what kind of, um, and I have a friend who's, who's an incredible copywriter and she's also, um, my business partner in one of the products that we have. And she's Stephanie of, of, by the way, creative. And she talks often about motifs and motifs are basically things that can like represent your brand. So for example, you mentioned your motif is champagne. I mentioned that my motifs are like lightning, um, electric, Harry Potter, that kind of thing. Um, uh, magic. So think about which of those can represent your business. Do you have anything that you can subtly put in your branding or not so subtly put in your branding? What kind of terms of endearment do you use? So in every, and you know this, Helena, in every client onboarding form that I have with my clients, if I am taking on a marketing client, I want to be able to sound like them, talk like them, act like them in order for people to think I am them when I'm doing their marketing. So what's really important for me is to understand what words do they use to describe things? Like what adjectives do they use? What terms of endearment do they use? For example, like some people would say, hey, babe, that would make other people cringe. Some people would be like, hey, rock star. Other people would be like, that is way too cringe. Like there's there's so many (laughs) different ways that people can say things. So it's important to define words you do say from an adjective perspective, from a descriptive perspective, from a, a terms of endearment perspective, words you don't say maybe even colors you resonate with, colors that you don't resonate with. Which of those motifs can you have in your brand and what do they represent for you? How can you subtly interject that into your content? What are your values? What do you stand for as a brand? So when I was defining my own brand archetype, and this is what I share with with my team, I wrote out all of these things. And like one other element was what you want to step into. So in mine, I had, for example as a brand at social, we are very high energy individuals. um, And we love to attract in high vibrational people. We want to be seen by our clients and by our audience as your bestie. We are there for you. We're totally approachable. We are professionals, but in a very informal way, whilst we are inject humor into everything that we do. And we love to wrap value one of our strongest pillars is actually about being value led in everything that we do. Um, Whilst we love to deliver value, we like to wrap it up in stories and interject humor and funny anecdotes. And whilst we're very, I guess, energetic and whilst we are very positive beings and we are a very positive brand, that does not prevent us from standing up for things, being vocal about things that are designed to educate and elevate our community So it's about, that's basically like a high level summary of the brand archetype of social, but that's just like a few examples of like what you could be throwing in there. Basically as descriptive as you can get about the brand, the better, because that's only going to support you in making that super clear in all of your marketing, but it's also going to support you when you do get to the point where you can hire team members that they can fully step into it and they can fully embody it and they can fully sound like you and act like you and... They don't have to be you, but in terms of like the marketing that they do for you. And I think it's just so empowering to be able to have that defined for yourself, but also for any team members that you bring on to.
1: Yeah, I love that. I have a question, but I feel like I probably know the answer to it, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. When you are, if somebody's gonna go away and start thinking about really diving much deeper into their brand archetype and how they wanna show up and what they want their aesthetic to even be like, should they be defining that based on what they think would attract their ideal client and be attract like look good for them and who they might be, or should they be defining it based on who they are and what they like and what they feel good putting out? Does that make sense?
0: (laughs) That absolutely makes sense. And I've had that question a few times. So I think am I right in thinking that the the majority of people who will be listening to this, they have personal brands.
1: Yeah, I would say that's probably the case. Yeah.
0: Yeah. With that, and the majority of people that I work with are pretty much all personal brands as well, whereby the audience is going to be investing into them as a person. Now, there's a few different, I guess, like ways that you can look at this. Most people would think that they should start by doing the things that they think is going to work for their audience. And to those people, I... <laughs> I don't know if I should say this, but basically... You can say this. It's Okay. <laughs> Okay. So first of all, what I would say is to anyone, this is actually for any type of marketing, not just when it comes down to, to positioning your brand. This is, this is for anything that you do when it comes to marketing. Stop assuming that you know what your clients want. Stop assuming that you know how your clients feel and stop assuming that you know how your clients speak. So my best friend's dad always said to us to assume is to make an ass of you and me and it is so (laughs) true it's so true like we have such an abundance of tools right now whereby we can actually do market research and market research again is like sounds really boring but it's so underrated and i think we have so many tools and so many opportunities around us to be able to conduct some market research so easily in facebook groups in your own in other people's obviously check on the rules of the group speak to the admin of the group on your Instagram stories so many tools question stickers polls readily available to you on live trainings that you do comment if you think this or comment how you feel about this so that you can actually find and identify how your ideal client speaks so that you can speak like your ideal client now that's the first part of it so i think you always need when you know who your ideal client is and who they are you want to go out to them and you want to ask them those questions because you want to be able to talk like them but when it comes down to who you are as a brand and your values, they have to be true to who you are as a person. If they become disjointed, that's going to be reflected everywhere. So ideally, you'd have a situation where you... So if I take my own company as an example, over the years, I've massively narrowed down the people that I'm working with. And I think everybody should to, to a certain degree. And every every business that's out there, like over time, they will tend to define or change up or switch up or... Hone in on who their actual ideal client is. Like I started out by concentrating on health. Actually, I started out with tech companies. Then I went to health and wellness and beauty businesses. Then I went to coaches. Now I'm very specific about the specific types of coaches that I work with. And they're typically very high vibe coaches, very purpose-led coaches and service providers because that's the type of person that I work well with. That's what I see in myself. So we're able to have such an amazing relationship. So if you base your ideal client around something that feels really aligned to you and who you are, it's going to make it so easy for everything to be aligned. How you communicate with people is going to be so much easier because you actually are sort of that person. Yeah. It's going to make things so much easier. And I know that's not the case for everyone. You might not be able to have your ideal client as the exact person that you are. Maybe it's the former version of you, the person that you used to be before you discovered all of this magic that you're now putting out into the world. But you have to stay true, especially with personal brands. Your brand needs to be so aligned to who you are. Otherwise, you're going to be putting on this front all the time and that mask is going to slip. Like, people are going to notice. Like, you can't stay true. You can't have this, like, two different personalities who you show up with online and who you really are. I see so much more power when you are the same person. So, that's what my advice would be just keep it true to you stay true to your values or inject some of that embodiment of who you would really desire to be a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. And maybe that's slightly different from who you are right now, but it's the person that you're about to become.
1: Yeah. I love that. It's all about authenticity and that high vibrational authenticity. And I was just thinking, as you were saying that, I'm like, yeah, like none of my clients are me. I get on with them all so well, and like they're enjoyable to work with. And I, hand on heart, couldn't tell you that I've ever had any difficult clients. And I'm like, that probably has a lot to do with the fact that I actively try to just show up authentically as me. And then when you are authentic to who you are, you you have to like. It's again coming back to money mindset as well. Like you have to attract that authenticity and that frequency back to you on the same level. So that's a really really good piece of advice. I'm really curious because you're in this industry every single day. Who are the brands that you think are nailing this? Like who would be examples that even people could go and research and really like dive into how and why their marketing is so effective? Yep, I'm putting you on the spot now. There's three people. <laughs> this is, I mean, this isn't
0: putting me on the spot because these are the people that I love. In my brand archetype document, I actually, this is, I missed this before. So I'm glad you asked this. I also put sources of inspiration and I have that in there because they're, they're part of that. Like who do I want to become? Who do I look up to? Like who is absolutely killing it? And they inspire me every day. And there's actually three examples here. So example number one is Jasmine Star, And anyone in like the branding and marketing yeah. world will not be surprised with that.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: She's amazing. She's
1: killer. She's amazing.
0: Exactly. Yeah. She's incredible. And she's very, very real, very real, very raw. And actually you'll notice that all three of the people that I share are. And again, that comes back to, okay, why should you be, stay true to you because people love that. So first of all, it's Jasmine Star because she's always on it. She always knows the hottest marketing trends, specifically with Instagram. She's very honest about it. She's honest about what works, what doesn't work. She's kind of like in the way her delivery is like savage, but in like a really respectable way because she never intends to like hurt anyone's feelings, but she's truthful. Yeah. She's so truthful. So Jasmine Star definitely. Next would be Shannon Lutz from The Social Bungalow who I absolutely adore. And if you've not checked her out, you absolutely should.
1: I I don't actually know who she is. So I need to write that one down. You need to check her out. She's, she's
0: amazing. She's very um, similar in terms of like, so for my brand archetype, one of the things is I like to keep it like fresh and fun and um, have a lot of like pop culture references um, injected throughout. And I think Shannon actually used to be the marketing. She used to be in corporate. um, And I think she used to be like the marketing person for J-Lo and A Rod as well, her fiance. So yeah, she's 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 a big dog, and she it's very evident in what she does. Everything she posts has so much value packed into it, but she's very transparent as well. So she actually has a Facebook group, whereby inside of that Facebook group, she shares her earnings for it's either the last month or the last quarter, and she shares how she did that, and then guides people on how they can do that for themselves. Again, super transparent. And another reason I look up to her is. One of, I guess, my own money mindset blocks was about not talking about my income online because people are just going to think I'm a dick. Like I'm not a business coach who helps people specifically make more money in their business. That's not my number one like focus. It's to support them to obviously increase their influence, income and impact as a result of their marketing. So I was like, okay, if I'm, if I'm not a business coach and I'm not actually helping people specifically with their money, why should I be talking about money and results? Like people are just going to think I'm a dick. And then I see like Shannon from the Social Bungalow, and she's fully disclosing like her earnings report, and that doesn't make me think she's a dick, not at all. Like, right? I'm just thinking like, yeah. wow. And she's sharing that, and she's sharing her tactics of how she got there, so other women can also achieve that as well. So yeah, many reasons why I love Shannon, and actually my third favorite is also called Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> <lots> of Shannon. <laughs> yeah, Shannon number two is um, she's from Boutique Social DC. And she's just, oh my God, she's like the warmest, kindest person. Like you feel like she's just your best friend when you listen to her. Like she shows up on her stories and she's like, hi friend. She's very, very, again, open, honest, real, raw, shares all the highs, shares all the lows, is always on it with the latest like Instagram trends. And she genuinely wants you. Like she's a social media manager, right? And social media coach. She wants other social media managers and coaches to win. She wants everybody to win. No matter who you are, whether you're a competitor, I say that with brackets, quotation marks. Um, so yeah, she's, she's amazing as well. So yeah, if you want to know the latest and greatest in marketing tricks and tips from people who I believe are really just real people, lovely people, it would be Boutique Social DC, Social Bungalow, and Jasmine Star.
1: That's awesome. And really all I'm hearing from what the through line is with all of those people is authenticity and value. Absolutely, and that really is where it's at. Like, people want to know, like, and trust you, and they want to receive value. So let's talk a little bit about that. If if people could start infusing two to three things in how they show up online or marketing tricks that maybe you have up your sleeve, coming back to the magic analogy, um, what would those be? Like, what do you wish you saw more women doing when it comes to their online marketing? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And I think I think we all are kind of, we are all
0: tempted by this. We get driven by sexy, shiny new things. So a recent example would be Clubhouse, for example. Yeah, Social media is a lot sexier than other forms of marketing. And I think one thing that I think a lot of business owners miss, and I think the, the bigger brands typically have this under their belt and they're nailing this, the newer businesses or people who've been in there for like just a few years, they think, okay, I need to be showing up front end. I need to be in everyone's faces front end and that's what's going to get me results. So this is probably going to be an answer that's going to have people eye rolling because people think it's like, i hey, an old school. <laughs> but for me, <laughs> email marketing is so underrated. It's just not sexy. When you've got like in your face, like, the TikToks of the world, now all the hype around Clubhouse, like the beautiful aesthetics of Instagram. Email marketing does feel old and archaic, but let's not get it twisted, right? You own your email list. Yeah. Mark Zuckerberg or any of the other tech gods out there who created these fancy, sexy social media platforms, they cannot take away the people who you grow on your email list. You can't just go onto your Instagram account and download all your followers and just keep them and then take them onto another platform and contact them. If your Instagram account gets disabled, they're all gone. All that hard work and effort you've put into that, they are gone. But you can do that with your email list. So with your email list, once you've got that person, you can download them. You, if you change email marketing platform, you can upload them onto a new platform. Like they are yours for life.
1: Just did that. You did that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just search platforms. But yeah, totally. We just went through that. Sorry to cut you off. I'm like, yeah. No, not all.
0: <laughs> that's the point. Like you literally can. You can literally click export. I think most email yeah. marketing platforms will allow you to do that. And you can just export them and take them anywhere until they obviously unsubscribe from your email. So that's another story. And in terms of like reach, if we think about, okay, so if we take Facebook as an example, as like a comparison between Facebook and, and um, email marketing, so I think the, the average statistic for like globally is if you have an email list, say you have 100 people you have on your email list, as an example, on average, 90% of email gets delivered to the inbox of those on your list. So out of those 100 people, you know, 90 of those 100 are going to see it in their inbox. Ideally, they'll check their inbox and they'll see it or it could go in their spam, spam folder, but it'll be delivered to them, right? It'll be delivered to them. But with Facebook, so if we think about a Facebook page, I think the average now is like only 2% of your Facebook page likers will actually see your post on their newsfeed. So only two out of 100 Facebook page likers will see your post that you put all this stuff into. But 90 out of those 100 people have the opportunity to open up your email. Like they'll see it in their inbox. And I think as well, like there's not only the deliverability factor, But there's also the power of you're able to create really targeted and tailored experiences through segmenting your list, so through list segmentation. If we do, again, a comparison of social media, broadly speaking, you cannot just show very specific content to specific populations of your audience. So I think pretty much all of us here right now, listening to this right now, will have a, a niche, a defined niche. But even if you have a really defined niche... Within that, there's going to be multiple subpopulations. So for example, if you're a business coach, your niche might be to support like female owned online businesses. Okay. But within that, there's going to be female owned businesses who have just started out who are facing very different problems to female owned businesses who are going, trying to go from like five months to 10K months. But with email marketing, what you could do... So on your, on your social media, you're going to have to sometimes try and combat like the trying to smash 5K population. Other times, you're going to try and combat people who are trying to reach six figures, for example. But not all of your posts are going to be relevant. And it's, it's going to be really difficult to actually be really tailored to who you're trying to create content for. But with email marketing, you could do something like create a freebie. You could create two different freebies, right? Freebie number one could be like free guided uh, money meditations or or money mindset meditations or affirmations to support newer female business owners in hitting their first 5K month or signing their first high ticket client. You know that the person who's going to sign up to your email list via that specific freebie. Well, they're either going to be your competitors who want to stalk you and see
1: what you're doing, (laughs) or
0: or they're going to be those female business owners struggling to hit their first 5K months. Then you can create freebie number two, a separate freebie, which could be like a free guide with specific strategies to scale past that six-figure year mark. You then know that when you're emailing your list to promote your new course or your new group coaching program for new women in business, you're not going to be sending those emails, those sales emails to the population in your email list that's desiring to scale past the six-figure year mark. So really easily, you're able to create personalized, tailored, targeted, segmented marketing just from the old school style of email marketing. So that is, for me, the most important part of, of marketing. Yes, you can be on these platforms showing your faces front end, But having a freebie in place, some sort of free download, free guide, free meditation, free audio, free video, your ideal client can download either through organic marketing methods or through running Facebook advertising campaigns. You're going to be able to build your email list. You're not only building your email list, you can also guide them to your other social media platforms that can grow those at the same time. And you have that list there for life and you can segment it, you can deliver tailored experiences. So for me, the most important marketing strategy and the one that can produce like the most tailored experiences for your clients and really feel like you're speaking really specifically to them, it has to be hands
1: down email marketing. Wow. I love that. Oh my gosh. like That's just such brilliant advice. And I know there are people listening right now who don't have e- any email marketing in place. And so that's definitely something that they need to dive into. So do you feel like we should be on Clubhouse or like this this is like the, the question of the month. There's always a new platform, isn't there? And it's like, I like showing up consistently in places that I enjoy. So I enjoy the podcast. I enjoy Instagram. I actually enjoy email marketing as well, but it can feel like there's always a new thing should we be getting on those new things or should we be focusing on one specific thing? Like is Facebook and Instagram dead or should we still be on that? <laughs> so I think you should have at least one platform that you're killing
0: it on, right? So if that's for you, Instagram, for example. I think everybody, I think this is clear now, everybody should have email marketing in place. That's just a given. Everyone's got their email marketing. They're about to (laughs) set it up right now. (laughs) For sure. And then with things like Clubhouse or TikTok or whatever new fun thing is coming, I'd say more so Clubhouse definitely than TikTok. Clubhouse is really great. I've seen people build their audiences really quickly through just showing up in a Clubhouse session and sharing their advice really quickly coming out of there and then they've built an audience because in their clubhouse profile, they've got their Instagram profile in there. They're saying to come over to Instagram. We can chat on there. It has been an amazing tool for getting you out there, getting more brand awareness for yourself in a not so saturated platform now. Well, at this present moment in time, it's not saturated at all compared to the other social media platforms. So it's giving you the opportunity to have a bigger voice. It's more of a level playing field at this point. I know it's slightly different in the US because they were the early adopters and that was around for, um, I think it was a few months before it came over, like the UK, for example. But especially in the UK, like it's a very open playing field right now. However, at the same time, you can find yourself in a clubhouse hole like I did (laughs) during the Christmas period. I was stuck (laughs) in that hole for hours.
1: (laughs) Oh my God. I was
0: like, Oh my gosh, where has that time gone? So it comes back to what we've been saying the whole way through. Please be intentional with how you use these platforms. The same thing happened to me when I started to discover TikTok. I was just sat there going through all of these TikToks, like, trying to learn these dances and like singing along these <laughs> Oh my gosh, yeah. So it's, it, Clubhouse is an amazing tool. Like, let's not get it twisted. It's It's amazing. It's like being able to dip in and out of a podcast with amazing people who you might not normally be able to have access to. You can actually then go and share the stage with them and be able to instantly ask them questions. And you can just like show up there, share your little bit, your little snippet, your little bit of advice, and then scoot on out of there. But what I would say is with different types of um, content, so for example, us recording this podcast right now, right? Either one of us could have been recording this on our phones or we could have been video recording this and we could repurpose it in our content, for example, and it's easy to repurpose. Which I
1: will be doing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I massively recommend repurposing. But with Clubhouse, you're not allowed to record. You can't record the conversations that are going on in there. So if you're producing content specifically for that platform, you can't just be like recording yourself and sharing that elsewhere because it's against Clubhouse rules and Clubhouse guidelines. So there is that element to it. There is the element that you can I know a client for example, she went into a Clubhouse session that she was like co-moderating and co-hosting and it just went on for hours. And cuz she was like a co-moderator, co-hoster, like she couldn't just get out there and it took like 4 hours of her time instead of the half an hour or 45 minutes that she'd scheduled for it. So if you have a look what's on there, like if you go to your events and clubhouses, there's literally st- like a million things happening at the same time every single day. So just go in, be intentional, maybe pick if you say to yourself, like, right, I've actually got an hour free today. Or for example, we were speaking before about um before we started recording, we were talking about CEO Fridays and having like CEO days yeah. and things like that. If you're having a CEO day and you're like, right, I'm gonna designate an hour today towards my personal development. I'm gonna find a clubhouse room that's talking about a topic that's really relevant to me. I'm gonna do an hour of consumption, taking notes, and then I'm gonna leave it. If you can be disciplined in that. Please do. Please take full advantage of this platform. If you know you're going to end up in a clubhouse hole, and it's going to take you away from what you're meant to be doing in that day, and it's going to take you away from from your needle movers in your business, then then just don't bother.
1: <laughs> yeah. If it's not need, if it's not moving the needle forward, like don't even go there. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. That's great advice. I could honestly ask you 500 more questions, but I'm just going <laughs> to ask you one more. So we'll have to just have a round two or something. You are brilliant with your words like and I love copywriting and I I love language like that was my thing in school Like it's always been my thing and you just have this way of communicating like I, I'm gonna swear but it's a and filter podcast I think you said something in your copy the the day like something about a fuck boy and it was just like so <laughs> hilarious and just like you used a perfect analogy and it woke people up whoever was reading it like not everyone is born with that creative copywriting juices just flowing. And I think it can be a little bit scary for some people who are starting out or growing their businesses, not you know comparing themselves to somebody like you or high, like high level brands thinking, I can't write like that. What are some of the tips and tools that you would have for somebody who can't afford to hire a copywriter, but knowing that copy is very important, whether it's email marketing or social media captions.
0: Absolutely. So there's two things. First of all, I'm going to drop a truth bomb right now. I do not, and people always seem really surprised when I tell them this, I don't write all of my captions. I don't write all of them. But people are really surprised because it just sounds like me in every single caption. Wow. (laughs) And that's because it goes back to that brand archetype document. I share words I do use, words I don't use, what I want to sound like, people who I want to emulate. Here are examples of phrases that I use. Here are jokes that I like to make, all of that kind of stuff. So again, it's about if you're really clear on who your brand is, you could hire the most expensive copywriter in the world to support you with writing your captions, or you could actually find a really reasonable virtual assistant who could support you in doing that if you supply them with the information that they need in order to be able to, to do that, right? However, there is obviously a certain skill that comes with that. And you need to obviously be able to have, even if you're hiring someone who isn't necessarily a copywriter, you need to be able to instruct them on how to write in a way that's going to be strategic. Yes, And I think, first of all, it's studying. So really studying the people, the posts that stand out to you. So go to your Instagram Go to your saved folder and have a look at which posts have you saved and then why? Can you see a commonality between those types of posts? Then look back through your own analytics. Look back on your own Instagram analytics and look at the posts that have done really well. Was it because like the image was amazing or the video or the reel or something was amazing? Or can you see something in common with what you wrote? Again, look back at your emails. Which types of emails had the highest open rates, the highest click-through rates? Whatever you've got, whatever data you're able to get, get that first. That's the first point. Study other people, do your market research who are doing really well and who you who you always save their posts or want to share their posts. Like have a look at that, study that. Then the next thing is study your own data. Have a look at your data, see what's been working well, what hasn't been working well. But with every post, and if we're talking about, um, well, actually it works both ways but for email marketing and for social media. The most important factor For email marketing and for social media writing, the most important factor that's going to determine whether people either on social media or Instagram, for example, click that read more button or via email marketing, if they're going to click that email open is to open that email is the first line, the subject line, the headline. And one thing that I always say to people is write what you want to say before you come up with that line. That line is probably the most important factor that you're going to write. The rest of the information that you write, as long as you're like delivering value or sharing like advice or whatever, if it's not structured in the most amazing or written in the most amazing way, it's okay because you've already got their attention and they're already listening, they're already reading. Okay. You don't have to be an expert copywriter in everything that you do. That's what copyrights are for. Yeah. So if you can nail that first line and still be obviously delivering good value or whatever you want to share, if it's not written in the most perfect way, it's fine. Focus on the headline, but before you actually write the headline or the subject line, write the content first. Because I found that in the past, when I tried to come up with a witty headline or a witty caption, a witty quote, even so, if I'm doing like a quote graphic or something to write a caption for, whatever I come up with first is never, ever, ever as good as what I come up with during or after I've written the content. Because then the ideas start start to be rolling, or. And Helen, you mentioned this before. Go and take a shower. I always have the best, <laughs> the best ideas in the shower. And the lines come me. I'm like, I've got to get out of this shower and write it down
1: right now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so write the content first, then write the subject line or the headline because chances are it's going to be far more powerful then, or come up with the quote for, you, for your caption then. Once you've done that, the body, you want to deliver what you're delivering in a way that's either going to create emotion in someone inspire someone, motivate someone, educate someone, or just share some simple like behind the scenes kind of kind of situation. then you want to end absolutely everything with a call to action, whether it's an email, whether it's an Instagram post, a Facebook post, whatever it is, you have to have a call to action. And that doesn't mean click my link in bio to sign up to this program. It means reply to this if you feel like this, or I did a uh, post yesterday and I said, let me know if you are A or B. A is this, B is this, write A or B in the caption. Make that call to action as easy as possible for people to respond to. Because I see people write these calls to actions and they're like, describe a moment in your life where you felt like this and what you did to overcome it. And they're like really, really long. And I'm like, people aren't going to reply to that.
1: I definitely have probably done that. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, us
0: I've definitely done that as well. But you just want to make call to action yeah. super, 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 super easy in order to drive engagement, in order to get them to do what you, what you actually want them to do. And you'll see, you'll see from studying your own data, from studying other people's posts and what they're doing well, those skills will naturally develop. Like whether you go from absolutely sucking at writing to i'm okay or whether you're like already okay and you're going to get amazingly well you will get better like i promise you you'll get better and yeah. um, it just takes time it just takes studying and testing like with everything with marketing just test different
1: things see what works see what lands and see what resonates yeah that's brilliant i'm totally going to write an ab <laughs> response thing now i'm like <laughs> what could be my ab question tonight <laughs> option a or option b that's brilliant i love it i love how you broke it down it's like really focusing on The beginning and the end, and let like the juices flow in between. So that's brilliant. (laughs) You have shared so much advice and have been absolutely brilliant. And I'm so grateful to you for spending your Friday evening with us. So I know that you're gonna go and pop open some prosecco and enjoy the rest of your night. But before you do, is there a piece of advice or something that you like, just have a message on your heart that you would love to share? Whether it's completely not to do with marketing at all, but what would you love to share with the listeners or somebody who's going after their big dreams at the moment.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, there's one thing that I do, I would like to share and I've shared it with people before because I felt like this was something that was really simple. But the more I reflected upon it and the more people I shared it with, they were like, oh, I didn't even think about that. So I'm going to just just share like a personal story right now. Yeah. And it's, it's I mean, it's, it's nothing big at all, but it's just when I felt myself like in a place of, I noticed that I was basically operating from a from a place of like fear or doubt or insecurity and these really I guess lower frequency emotions and I looked back and realized what helped me get over that I guess what I noticed was when I was feeling those emotions those lower vibrational emotions and when I say lower vibrational emotions like if anyone who's here who's listening to this right now google the emotional vibrational spectrum i think it's called and it shows you like a list of examples of different emotions on which are lower frequency on which kind of like bring you more down and which are higher frequency higher vibrational emotions and i noticed myself switching between up and down the spectrum basically going from like feeling really low to feeling like energized and it was just one really simple thing so at the time and this was just a few years ago now maybe 2 years ago i had two instagram accounts One was a personal account, so just my personal account that I'd had for forever, however long Instagram has been around, and I had a business account too. So obviously my um, So Social UK business account. And what I noticed was on my personal account, I was following people because either I felt like I had to, or because they were like a guilty pleasure. For example, so like people from school, from university, who. It was just too awkward to unfollow or like influencers and celebrities that made me feel like envious and jealousy and those types of emotions. And what I actually started to notice was that when I was scrolling through my newsfeed on my personal account, I felt like jealousy, insecurity. I saw people from school who were like doing really well, buying a house or in a super happy relationship, or I'd see these like unattainable standards of beauty with these influencers and celebrities that I was following. And I'd come away and I'd just like feel pretty shitty. Then I'd switch and I'd scroll through my business account. And I noticed that I'd be feeling like inspired, motivated. And I'd actually be educating myself from the content that I was actually consuming. And what I soon realized that this was the same platform. It was just one thing, but I'd used it in two totally different ways. So for my personal account, I was doing all the things that I thought I had to a.k.a. continue to follow and consume from people that didn't inspire me or educate me or motivate me. But for my business account, I was exceptionally intentional. There we go again, intentional yeah. about who I followed, who I consume content from, and therefore who I actually allowed to influence my thoughts and feelings. So I went ahead and deleted my personal account. So bringing that like back to feeling Fear or feeling any sort of low vibrational emotion, the biggest learning that I have felt throughout this whole business journey is just to always understand where where does it stem from, like where is it stemming from. You might not always be able to track it down, but what I've actually found is when I have tried to look back and understand where these lower vibrational emotions are stemming from, it comes down to who have you got around you. So if you know that you are made for more you want to do more, you want to become more, surround yourself both online, on your marketing platforms, wherever you are having your circles, whether it's in Slack channels or Voxer groups or whatever, surround yourself both online and in person with people who know that they're also made for more and they're actually doing more because they're going to be able to show you what's possible. And in turn, support you in saying bye Felicia To all those fears (laughs) and low vibration emotions. So that's the biggest, I guess, learning that I've had on my journey and just something that I wanted to share today.
1: Yes. Preach it sister. A hundred percent. Don't be afraid to go unfollow. Bye-bye. Bye Felicia to those low vibrational frequencies because we are not here for it. <laughs> so one high high vibrational frequency you can go and follow is Aisha. So where can everyone go and find you and learn more about you?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. You can come and follow me anytime over at
1: Surge Social UK perfect, amazing. So go follow her right now. I literally, honestly, I said this the the day, I save every one of her posts because it has <laughs> so much value in it. I'm like, oh, I need to do this. I have to apply this. Oh, that's such a great idea. <laughs> so most of my saved items in my saved like inbox folder, whatever you call it, is is your stuff. So there you go. <laughs> that makes me so happy. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you, learn from you and share this podcast with you so thank you so much
0: no problem it's been a pleasure to be here
1: if you loved today's episode, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes and hit the subscribe button because women supporting women is my jam. And if you want extra daily doses of motivation, then be sure to follow me on Instagram at girl underscore unfiltered and go ahead and screenshot this episode. Send me a DM and share your biggest takeaway because I love hearing from you and I just really want to drop into your DMs basically. So I'm sending you so much love and abundance and have an amazing day.